Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome back to Canadian Gothic, a nighttime podcast series in which my pal Madeleine Klein and I discuss dark and unsettling Canadian stories. In the prior episode, Maddie and I began our conversation covering Canada's most notorious crimes according to the ChatGPT artificial intelligence chatbot. And tonight, we're going to finish that conversation. Where we left off, we had just discussed the monster of the Miramichi, Alan Legere, the beast of British Columbia, Clifford Olson, and the disgraced Royal Canadian Air Force Colonel, Russell Williams. Now tonight, in this episode, we're going to pick up the conversation with that all-knowing artificial intelligence telling us what it thinks the two most notorious Canadian crimes are. So let's get into it. Let's move on to what ChatGPT believes to be Canada's second most notorious crime. The second most notorious crime is the case of Robert Picton. Picton, a pig farmer from British Columbia, was convicted of six counts of second-degree murder but is believed to be responsible for the deaths of many more women. His crimes involved the abduction and murder of sex workers from Vancouver's downtown east side. This one, I think uh, you can handle this one because you, I think you did a, a video recently about this horrible no, person i'm just i'm very familiar with this case and i'm not surprised that it made number two because it's and everyone's going to be familiar with robert picton mm. the pig farmer from bc mm -hmm. um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with the name i'm sure the people are few and far between uh robert picton was a pig farmer from port coquitlam british columbia and from the early 80s up until the early 2000s, he raped and murdered, it, it could be up to 49 uh, sex workers. He would prey on the downtown east side Vancouver area and bring women back to his farm. He actually, so he inherited this farm from his parents in 82. And by, I believe, 19... 86 maybe er the early 90s him and his brother david registered a non-profit charity mm. called the piggy palace good time society oh my gosh yeah so they claimed to quote organize coordinate manage and operate special events functions dances shows and exhibitions on behalf of ser service organizations, sports organizations, and other worthy groups. Weird. 
So all that translates to is they had these massive parties inside their slaughterhouse at their farm that consisted of bringing sex workers in. And it's said that the Hells Angels often frequented these raves and parties. And there were up to like 2,000 people that visited. In this muddy, stinky pig farm. In a slaughterhouse. Oh, my goodness. But why would they need to register it? I guess just for tax breaks or something? Maybe to keep under the radar? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's part of it. It's just bizarre. That was kiboshed eventually because of zoning or something. They came in and they were like, yeah, this is a slaughterhouse. This is not. No, this is all you people need to go home. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, yeah, he was notorious in in the downtown east side Mm -hmm. and so finally it all came to a head in 2002 and you mentioned this before but we're we're really just the main point this story has i could talk for an hour just about this guy oh yeah um if if people want to get into like get deep into the story of picton and picton's farm and all the horrible things he did uh christy lee who hosts the canadian true crime podcast she has i think it's like a four or five part series with each part is like two hours long oh, and wow. i remember talking to her when she was writing it and putting it together and it like it like destroyed her i think she took a break from podcasting after it because it was just so horrible and there was so much to it um but yeah it's it's a long because he was able to get away with these crimes for a long time this, Absolutely. this was going on. I'm honestly surprised that this didn't make the top spot because mm-hmm. just of how heinous and the number of victims. Um, so, like I said, he would target mostly sex workers. And yeah, these women would just would go to the farm and then vanish afterwards. Um, he was in 1997. There was a altercation between him and a woman where he was charged with attempted murder he tried or he did stab her um he was released on a two thousand dollar bond or bail and then the charges were dropped or stayed Mm. in like the new year um but yeah so this went on until 2002 i believe he was on police radar so they got a search warrant because of illegal weapons and then once they they found what they found warranted a second search warrant where they found belongings of all these missing women. Hmm. So finally he was arrested. Unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, he was only convicted of six murders. Mm. He was charged for 26 and he has admitted to 49. (sighs) And they, they couldn't, they found the DNA of over 33 women on his farm, Ooh. but they they couldn't identify most of them mm-hmm. because he, it said that he ground up his victims and put it into the pork that he fed to or that he sold to the Canadian government. Mm-hmm. And then it's possible that he fed his victims directly to his pigs because mm-hmm. he had a bunch of these big, ugly pigs that would eat anything. So, yeah, it's That's like. Right. These like they they found belongings of the victims and traces of DNA, but I don't know if they found remains of any victims. They did find some. Okay. I know I know one victim. They found like just her wrist bone, 
or something like that. Oh, and wow. but yeah, there was I read another little portion that said in court it came out that they had found 80 samples of DNA, uh half belonging to men and half belonging to women. Weird. So, but um, DNA can be anything. So with with Picton's story, and maybe you can explain this to me is like he um hit his crime got a lot of attention and the accusations against him but i i don't remember hearing much about the trial like did did, did you follow the trial at all and, and is there a reason why i don't know anything about his trial there was a publication bound on this case i believe until 2010 okay that's maybe and why. yeah i remember my dad telling me about this case because it's just so awful and crazy mm -hmm. um but it in true Canadian fashion, it took a long time. So yeah. he was arrested in 2002. Um, I believe only eight charges were laid. Eight charges were laid at the beginning of, of all of this. And then another 12 followed in the fall of 2002. And then it took until 2005 for another 24, 26 to be laid. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and then the trial went on and he wasn't, convicted and sentenced until 2007 mm -hmm. so that's that's a long trial and now at this point he's in he's in prison he's not he's not eligible for parole for 25 years so and that's the way it works in canada that's like the harshest punishment you get unless they label you a dangerous offender which is a whole separate thing but uh well and get this he was not charged for first degree murder he was charged for second degree which <laughs> that blew my mind yeah that i've but it seems like he was intentionally bringing people to the pig farm to it, it. And ha having admitted to 49 victims hmm. and he even told someone in jail or an undercover cop or something he said he wanted to kill one more woman to make it an even 50. yeah that was an undercover cop sitting in the cell with him i think is what it was that's what it was yeah yeah what a creep and it's like when th there's a few photos of picton that get used a lot and in everyone it looks like a shot from like the texas chainsaw massacre or something like he's just a frightening frightening looking guy yeah um, not easy on the eyes no i don't know his story well and i don't want to it just seems so dark and it's all the people that like that he was preying upon it was these like borderline homeless abused street worker mostly indigenous women many mothers yeah it's horrible actually there's a really good documentary on youtube about him full length i think it's like two hours and i think oh, really? it's just called the pig farm or mm. the picton farm or something it's it's very good as far as why chat gpt is giving this the number two on their on their list of the most notorious canadian crimes i think it's the number of victims and the amount of press coverage there was a there's a lot written about this well and just how heinous and gross it is mm -hmm. like feeding his victims to pigs mm -hmm. and then potentially selling that to the canadian government mm -hmm. it, it also it's... i'm out west so maybe that's why it's it was so big over here uh, it was down here too and it's it's big internationally oh. like i've seen a lot of like uh, american and international podcasters that usually don't do canadian topics will do an episode on picton the you know the pig Ugh. farmer killer kind of thing and Ugh. um awful also awful is what chat gpt believes 
Canada's most notorious, number one most notorious Canadian crime is. Uh, I don't think this surprised me. The most notorious crime in Canada is the case of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. This couple committed a series of heinous crimes, including the kidnapping, rape, and murder of several young girls in the early 1990s. Their crimes shocked the nation and led to widespread media coverage. The Ken and Barbie killers, I think they call them. I knew, I knew this would be number one. I kind of figured it would. I think it, most people listening are familiar with Paul Bernardo, Carla Homolka, and kind of the elements of their crime. But ultimately, it's a couple that committed a, a couple together that committed a series of crimes, including kidnapping and rape and murder of several young girls in the early 90s. Um, an incredible amount of media coverage, perhaps more than any other Canadian crime I would have to expect, possibly. Um, and the things they did were so brutal, so cruel, so awful. The way the the courts handled this, what you know, the the outcome of the trial, it's unimaginable. Um, before we get it, before I get into telling the story, anything you want to say about these two? Um, this is probably the first case, like one of my first memories. I wasn't alive when it all went down. Um, but something had to have happened in 1998 because I specifically remember like something with the trial or something Yeah, because I specifically, sense. I remember my mother telling me about it. I would have been five. And in 98, you were five. Yeah. Holy. And I just remember my mom telling me about this awful story and the, <laughs> the bedroom. Sit down, little Madeline. I gotta... Well, the, the bedrock of the lesson was that like you can't trust women either. If okay. a car pulls over and a woman is telling you to get in, you don't trust her. Okay. So, and yeah, that's just kind of always stuck with me. Wow. And, and I imagine just... you're probably have PTSD over this talk with your mom when you were five about Carla right. Mocha. Uh, I, yeah. It's God bless my mother. Door right now, CPS. You know what? She was real with me and I couldn't be more thankful. Good. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, I think this was the, one of the moments that really made me realize that the world isn't all sunshine and rainbows mm -hmm. and there are bad people out there. Yeah. And even here in Canada, even in small town, smallish, yep. medium town, Ontario. So yeah, there's a lot of discussion about who's the bad one. Is it Paul Bernardo? Is it Carla Homolka? Is it both of them? Regardless of your thoughts on that, the crimes kind of start before Homol Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo connect. Paul Bernardo, even as a young man, was a um, prolific rapist. He was, without being caught, he was known as the Scarborough Rapist. Between 1987 and 1990, he was responsible for an increasingly vicious series of rapes in and around Scarborough, uh, attacking women generally in the evening when they were walking alone, getting off a bus, these sorts of things. Um, he did that for years without getting caught. He eventually meets Carla Homolka, moves in with her family. So him and Carla are living with her family. Despite still being semi-active as the Scarborough rapist, um, Paul Bernardo became interested, obsessed, uh, fixated on Carla's 
younger sister, Tammy, who is a 15 year old. Uh, so I guess we can say he's a pedophile. Uh, he was interested in Carla's younger sister, but oddly enough, like he didn't keep that as a secret from Carla and she didn't have a problem with it. And that's where this gets, well, this is, it's already weird, but that's where this gets really dark. They've more than once, Paul Bernardo had drugged Carla's younger sister with Carla's knowledge to like fondle her and, you know, these sorts of things. But he wanted to take it just like how his rapes were increasing in severity and viciousness. Uh, so was his activity with drugging and like molesting or however you want to put it with Carla's younger sister. But Carla, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say she encouraged it, but she was okay with that increasing severity to the point that for Christmas on, well, actually on December 23rd of 1990, Carla wanted to give her younger sister's virginity to Paul Bernardo, her boyfriend, as a Christmas gift. So what she did was she drugged her 15-year-old sister with a rum and eggnog cocktail. When her younger sister lost consciousness, that allowed Paul Bernardo to rape her. Carla filmed it while he was doing it, but what ended up happening is she ended up dying during that. She choked on her own vomit. They did try to revive her and they did call 911. They were kind of panicking after they realized what they had done. They had dressed her while she's dead, moves her up to her bed, call 911. Um, when she was taken to the hospital in an ambulance, she was reported dead, deceased, with the official cause being accidental. They believe she just drank herself uh to into like passed out and choked on her own vomit so they never clued in that she actually was raped which is pretty wild um that they were able like something that brazen that they were able to at least for a period of time get uh, get get away with it and it's it's even worse than that after her death in the days after Paul and Carla, and like videotaping will become a part of this because a lot of their crimes were videotaped, but Paul and Carla would, or Carla Homolka would dress up in her little sister's clothing and her and Paul Bernardo would make like sex tapes with Carla pretending to be her younger sister in the, like in the days after that, which is pr pretty sickening. Um, as a way to allow Carla and Tammy's parents to grieve, Paul and Carla decided to move out. They move out of the house shortly after killing Tammy, which allows them to even further ramp up Paul Bernardo's, you know, twisted cravings for, for women, young women, for children, I should say. The next victim comes on June 15th of 91. Paul Bernardo comes across a 14-year-old girl named Leslie. Uh, she was locked out of her house. She was just outside. And that's, you know, Paul Bernardo lurks around neighborhoods looking for situations like this. She was locked out of her house. Paul Bernardo gets out of her car and approaches her. He offers her cigarettes and she, they're in his car. So they're walking to the car. As she gets near the car, he grabs her, pulls her in, blindfolds her, drives her to the apartment that he shares with Carla and not unlike what happened with Carla's younger sister, 
they um, tied her up, drugged her, abused her. But she she lived through the night. It was actually the next day that they that she was killed. And there's still a debate about who killed her. Paul Bernardo says that Carla Homolka gave her a, a lethal dose of a drug where Carla Homolka says Paul Bernardo strangled her. But regardless of who did it, they were both involved in, in hiding her remains. And this is also quite twisted is um, Paul Bernardo cut her into pieces and made concrete blocks with each piece inside and just sunk the blocks in a body of water. They eventually found one of the blocks and they there was an I think there was teeth in it, but they were able to identify her remains from like a um, orthodontic thing in her teeth that they found in uh, encased in cement. But they still didn't connect it to Paul Bernardo or Carla Homoka at this point, despite getting a series of rapes followed by two murders. They have a third murder which is Kristen French, April 16th of 92. Bernardo, Bernardo and Homolka are driving through St. Catharines, specifically looking for a victim. As they pass by a school, they spot 15-year-old Kristen French walking home. They pull in a nearby parking lot, and it's now, and this is probably what the story your mother told you when you were five, Carla Homolka got out of the car carrying a map, asking the kid for help. Uh, as Kristen French is looking at the map, trying to help Carla Homolka, Paul Bernardo approaches her from behind, grabs her, pulls her into the car. Um, and this is what eventually will lead to their capture. When F Kristen French doesn't arrive home that night, her parents contact the police who canvass the area. Usually when you hear of like a kid's, you know, missing, they don't, it, it doesn't, raise crazy red flags right off the bat. But in this case, when they're canvassing the area, they found one of her shoes in the area where she was abducted. And they also found someone, a witness who who thought they had seen like an abduction happen. So they were Why wouldn't you call it? You know, in? they knew. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, they didn't. Uh, but that allowed Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, much like with the prior two victims, they videotaped themselves torturing, raping and drugging her. Uh, she was found dead in a ditch, uh, I think, two days later. And this is the same kind of thing where they were, Carla and Paul Bernardo were both pointing at each other uh, for responsibility. Oh, they turned on each other quick. How they get caught, earlier on, Paul Bernardo was being investigated related to the Scarborough rapes. He was one of the people that were, they investigated a lot of people and interviewed a lot of people about that. He was one of them. And before any of the murders, when he was being interviewed, uh, being investigated for one of the rapes, he volunteered a DNA sample. That was before any of the murders. But back then, when they tested for DNA, it took a long time. So it wasn't he gave the DNA sample, but it was like, I think, like over a year later that they finally got the result that showed that he was responsible for some of the rapes that led to them ramping up the investigation in Paul Bernardo and talking to his girlfriend or wife, Carla Homolka. But at this point, it seems like their relationship was kind of on the rocks, Carla and Paul. Uh, and it didn't take much pushing and talking to Carla that she eventually gave up the goods. And she told 
first her uncle, I believe, and then eventually told the police the whole story of what happened between her and Paul Bernardo, her sister, the other two victims. And much like with the $10,000 a body deal, Carla Homolka was offered what people refer to as the deal with the devil, which is basically if you testify against Paul Bernardo, you're not going to be charged with these crimes that you were involved in. Um, and she took it and people certainly didn't like it. Eventually, Paul Bernardo was found guilty of all of it. He got a life sentence. Uh, Carla Homolka, she did face charges, but she only got 12 years in prison. I don't, I don't recall exactly what her charges were, but she got a much lighter sentence. Um, I gave the long version of that story and I meant to give the short one, but well, I rattled through a lot to... of gory detail. Yeah. It's just, it's, this is one rich. There's just so much to say about their case. Um, well, and the way, the way the plea deal worked was, yeah. So they said like, you'll, you'll only get 12 years or whatever. She knew she was going to prison. But yeah. I believe at this point, she was telling them that she wasn't involved as much as they thought she was. But it was after mm -hmm. she took this plea deal, she was like, okay, I'll show you where the tapes are. And they were in the ceiling. That's right. That's and then right. when they watched was, them, it... they were like, oh, well, shit, this plea deal is not good for us. Like... Yes, that's... I, yeah, I forgot about that part of it. She agreed to the plea deal and that was done before they found the videotapes yeah. showing her, her role involvement. in it. And she was, yeah. So it was, oh man, Ugh. that's, that's awful. And she's out now. And here's an interesting twist in this. So Carla Homolka is out from prison. There's several photos and news articles about what she's up to. She's living somewhere in like a small area, a small town in Quebec, but she actually changed her name and she changed her name to Leanne Teal. But what's unique and, and kind of twisted is when shortly after her and Paul Bernardo got married, they were going to change their last name to Teal as a sort of nod to um, a sort uh, a sort of nod to the killer in a in this horror movie uh, that her that her and Paul were right into. But it's like if you think, yeah, maybe she changed and stuff. Uh, I can't imagine someone like Carla Homolka changes, but she changed her name to what she was going to change her name with about a murderer back when she was with Paul Bernardo. This, is that not super That's eerie? That's weird. And that leads me to believe that she probably still has feelings for Bernardo. And if they could communicate, they would. I wonder. Um, she's out. She's been out for some time. There was photos, uh, or there was a news article I, I read where... I don't know if she was like involved in like after school programs at a school or something, but she was involved in one of her kids school in some capacity. And then other P other parents found out that that woman, that parent of the other kid that we probably know as Leanne is actually Carla Homolka. And then it kicked up this big stink. Like, should she be allowed on the school grounds? Uh, no. And uh, <laughs> I absolutely not. But well, yeah, she's got three eventually kids. I see she, and I'm pretty sure I should have, I should have checked this. I'm pretty sure she married her lawyer's brother or something oh. like that. It's like, yeah. Something, yeah. Paul Bernardo's still in prison, but he was in the news as recently as last week because he was moved from max security to a medium security right. institution or whatever. So there was a bit of a, 
you know, people don't like that, understandably. He's he's got to be a dangerous offender. I'm. You yeah. would think he's he's never getting out. Uh, I hope. But if but the thing is, like, I'm not going to support the decision to move Paul Bernardo to a medium security prison. But here in Canada, for the most part, you get out eventually, and you you need to kind of prepare someone to get out if you want them to to even have a chance to not reoffend. So if he's if he is ever going to get out, there needs to be this slow stepping down of, you know, the type of prison he's in. I don't. I don't know. I just. I just wish we had. I wish life sentences were you're gone forever because I don't feel like the world needs Paul Bernardo to have a second chance. No, and this is why I'm a big advocate for the death penalty. I'm not saying dole it out for everyone just willy nilly, but people like him. Why not? Yeah, like you got the video of it, and like he did it. Yeah, he's he's a psychopath. He's not. He's there's no curing that. Well, what are your thoughts on Carla Homolka? Oh, that vile woman. I think she's still a psychopath. Um, Well, really, like, awful. And why should she be able to go on and have children and a life when she took the lives Mm of, you know, three? Even her her younger younger sister. sister. And, um, yeah, it's. It's unfathomable. How, and I can see why this is the most notorious Canadian crime. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine there's been a Canadian crime that has had more written about it. And I wonder, especially I've often crime. wondered if it's because on the on the flip side of the coin, because we were just talking about how awful looking and um, like, you know, when you when you think of a, a rapist and serial killer, you picture Picton. That's, you know, that's the the gross guy on the street. But you never think it's the good-looking guy and or girl. Because they were both yeah, good-looking. Yeah, that's true. Hate to mm-hmm. admit it. Well, they called them the Ken, the, the Ken and Barbie exactly. killers or whatever. The, the, uh, Carla Homolka definitely had, like, the like late 80s yeah. like, girl look. Like the I don't know how you would describe her hair and stuff, but she just looked like she would date Bon Jovi or something. And yeah, maybe that's why Bernardo got away with it for so long. It's because when you when you picture a rapist, you don't think about a good-looking man, a good-looking and charming man. When I asked ChatGPT the five most notorious Canadian crimes, it did spit out its other mentions. It gave me like a top five, and then it gave me five more honorable mentions which should have said dishonorable mentions. Um, I'm just going to go through a lightning round here. It told me the story of Peter Woodcock, who I didn't know his story. He was he committed a series of murders in the 50s, um, is known as one of Canada's youngest multiple murderers at the time. And an interesting thing about him is he was in prison for years and years and years and years and years. He eventually gets like day parole or gets out for like one day. And the first day that he's out, him and someone he met in prison met up with another person they knew from prison and killed yeah. him. And then he walked to a police station and went back to prison. It's, he was actually the first, my first like full length YouTube video last year. Oh, yeah. really? I didn't know you did it. I got to watch it because I didn't know the Peter Woodcock. He story. was it's he horrific. Was Canada's youngest serial killer or was at least I, I hope he still is. And there no one had no yeah, one else has taken that, that 
that role, but yeah, he, and he killed children and like sexually assaulted them. And, but yeah, he was just, he was always a weird kid. And all the pictures of him, like he looks like uh, the movie Psycho, Norman Bates. He has this like Norman Bates And he was like weirdly close with his mom. So yeah, or like had this, yeah. Uh, the next one on the list is uh, a very much a dishonorable mention for the quality of chat GPT and how inaccurate it can be. So what it had told me is one of the other most notorious Canadian crimes is the story of James Hutchinson. And it refer- and what it went on to say is Hutchinson was involved in one of the most high profile cases in Canadian history known as the Shoeshine Boy murder. He kidnapped and murdered a young shoeshine boy named Emmanuel Jacques in Toronto in 1977. So I was like, huh, I don't recognize those names. I Googled it. And first of all, the Shoeshine Boy murder is a real thing. There was a boy named Emmanuel Jacques who was killed. It didn't happen in 1977. It happened like in the 60s, and it was three men who killed him, none of which were named James Hutchison. So I'm like, what is ChatGPT doing? Because it's like it, the person it said killed him wasn't even involved in this. And then when I did some Googling, I found that there was another completely unrelated missing kid whose name was James Hutchison. So I think it took like a story from the US, a story from Canada, and just merged it all together into one thing that it got way wrong. So, you know, you talked about um, at the beginning of this episode, someone like a lawyer, like citing a case that doesn't exist. This is like, this is mixing together two crime stories, getting the date wrong. And like, the whole thing is just like a mess. So I don't know what it did. And then another thing it did, is one of the cases it recommended looking into is Willie Pickton. And it said not to be confused with Robert Pickton. Same person. And then it de- then it described he's a pig farmer who killed these people. Same person. Yeah, not his brother. Same person. Uh, and one of the other cases it recommended is the story of David Williams, the colonel and the Canadian defense. Uh, and it also said not to be confused with Robert Williams. I was like, huh, what's why, how did they mix that up? And his name is David Robert Williams. But they just, you know, he's known or sorry, David Russell okay. Williams. Oh, so um, weird. What it did was he's known as Russell Williams, but I guess like his his legal first name is David. So chat GPT mixed that up and thought it was two separate people. Just like Robert Picton and Willie right. Picton. Oh, that's weird. What a dumb computer right. thing. And and how did they, <laughs> if they mixed them up, like I noticed that, so Robert Picton was second place, but Willie Picton was 10th. So I wonder how they yeah. gauged that. Well, I guess what it probably did is it took any articles that call him Willie Picton and considered that a whole separate oh, yes. body of, so there's probably just less people use Willie Picton versus Robert Picton. Uh, weird. Uh, One of the other cases, the last one that was on the list was the crime of Mark Twitchell, who is known as the uh, Dexter killer. Uh, I think this is on the list because a major American, I don't know if it was 48 hours, one of those kind of shows did a documentary on him. He was a guy who was like obsessed with the TV show Dexter. He was a filmmaker and he lured guys using like fake profiles on the internet on a dating site pretending to be a woman he lured a guy to his like garage where he filmed movies and he killed him 
um, and got caught. But yeah, but anyway, it's it's not like in the scheme of things, it's not I wouldn't consider it a high profile Canadian crime or like a a well-known Canadian crime. I think the reason ChatGPT included it is probably because it got a lot of international coverage because of that uh, 48 hours um, mystery or 48 hours special. The last thing I asked ChatGPT in trying to understand how it came up with this list, and I want to read it. I asked it when I finished up, like, ChatGPT, why did you choose these cases? Why is this your list of most notorious Canadian crimes? And you can talk with this thing. What it said to me is, The term notorious can be interpreted in various ways, such as crimes that received significant media attention, had a lasting impact on Canadian society, or involved particularly heinous acts. When determining the most notorious Canadian crimes, I relied on factors such as public awareness, media coverage, historical significance, and societal impact. Interesting. Well, they yeah, were, they're right I about think, that. Uh, yeah, certainly. Anything off the top of your head, something that wasn't on this list. Can you think of one that you would say like that is, you know, should have been included? Uh, maybe I'm biased in Nova Scotia, but I think what happened in Portapique. Yeah. And maybe maybe that would have been on the list, but what ChatGPT does is it's read everything on the internet, but it stopped in like, I think 2020 maybe is when oh. it stopped gaining new data. And so now it's, it's just using what it knows, but I think eventually they'll probably have a new version of it that has more information, but it doesn't reference things from, I don't know if it's 2020 or 2021 forward. And maybe that's why Portapic wasn't included. Yeah, maybe. But that 2020, that like that was three years ago. You'd think that it would be included, but you never know. But that yeah, that one's that one's bad. I can't not off the top of my head. The the okay. the big ones to me were listed. Homolka. Yeah. Uh Picton. Woodcock. Mm-hmm. He would have he would have come up for me. All right. Well, this is this has been interesting. This is a good way to see what um it's a good way to get into several cases, but it's also cool to see what a robot thinks about this stuff. I yeah, that's Chat GPT kind of scares me. It does scare me because we're looking at like the most basic, foundational version of it. It's just like, where's this going to be in fifteen years? Yeah, uh, I don't know, man. Because you can sit there and talk to it, and you can ask follow up questions, or I could have asked the same question, but I could have said like. Uh, don't list it tell me it in the style of a poem or you know and it would have done it it all would have rhymed and been like flowery oh that's Um, yeah that's bizarre that's just that's too much for my little pea brain but then the way it also mixes with other things is you can ai can you can use artificial intelligence to make images you can use artificial intelligence to copy voices and it can the same kind of stuff it does with language it can do with images and voices and when you mix it all together it really gets crazy i don't know if you know about this but there is a trend right now on TikTok that is making um, people outraged and justifiably so and it all relates to ai what people are doing is they're taking and for whatever reason they're choosing crimes against children they'll take an image of a child who is murdered and they will use ai to animate the face and they'll use ai to make a children's voice and they'll have the child that was murdered in a child's voice describing 
to the viewer what happened to them. Why would anybody ever do that? Why would they make it, but why would they watch it? Well, they make it because people will watch it. Yeah. I mean, the dark and, web and that's has been a thing. around for a while. This isn't the dark no, web. This is TikTok. Uh, there was a, I read an article on uh, I think Vice did a piece on this trend of animating victims to tell their own stories and I was like this can't be like common like this is too crazy and sure enough yeah it's all over TikTok and it's just a, like a little ch uh, it's so freaky I don't encourage anyone to check it yeah, out that's but weird. And, and then you also have with AI um, I've talked about this before is uh, it can if just like how chat gpt has taken all the stuff that was written and it can use it in different ways if you give it you know an hour of your recording uh, an hour recording of you talking it can pick out your speech characteristics and style and it can imitate you in ways that you like you can't tell it's it's not real and what people have done is they've um copied like the voices of celebrities so they can you know synthesize like michael jackson's voice and have michael jackson singing songs that were written you know way after he was dead and you can hardly tell that's insane and it's yeah what a world well, right? it, it, would that be considered like a deep fake yeah yeah like a deep fake is using ai and some people embrace it you know with the singer grimes i think you're a fan of she's grimes. a singer i know who she is i didn't know she did music <laughs> Are you kidding no. me? She's one of the best. Um, but what Grimes is doing now, she's a famous Canadian singer, but she is Maybe encouraging her audience. Oh, her music's oh. great. Uh, she's encouraging her audience to take her voice, which she herself had like AI, AI'd, whatever the word for that is. And she's en encouraging them to collaborate with the AI version of her and make music. Right. And she's said to her audience, like, I'm not going to go after you with copyright strikes or anything. Oh. If anything goes crazy viral and makes a bunch of money, we can talk, but go hey, ahead. You know what? It. No, you're right. I, I did know she was a musician. I thought she was just into like EDM, but not, okay. I didn't know she like actually sang. Okay. But interesting. Super weird. We learned a bunch of new things yeah. tonight. Well, Madeline, this anything else you want to add? This has been unique. It's been interesting, but I think it worked. Anything you want to add before we put a bow on? I'm this? just I'm very interested, but also at the same time very scared to see what the future of AI is going to bring us. It's it can't be good. Like it's only going to get worse every day. Thing this ugh. hellscape we live in gets darker and darker and closes in on this us. Hellscape. Yeah, you're right. It's true. Uh, hopefully we'll find another well, solar system we can live on soon. <laughs> <laughs> let's end with that. Uh, and not only because of AI, but because of the kind of real life monsters we've been talking about all night. If it's not these creeps, it's the AI that, you know, the movie Terminator. I don't know if you watched Terminator. AI kind of takes over and that's what's coming. It was a while ago. And I remember being like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for joining Madeline and I for this episode of Nighttime. Now I'm going to start wrapping up the episode, but before we part, I want to call on to you for your stories. In the next Canadian Gothic episode, Madeline and I will again break down a collection of your encounters with creeps, but there's still room for a few more stories. 
So if you ever had the displeasure of a creepy coworker, a nightmare date, a far too strange stranger, or any other type of creep encounter, please stop what you're doing now, go to nighttimepodcast.com slash contact, and send us a voice memo. The voice recorder is easy to use, and if you make any mistakes or misspeak, I'll edit it before it goes to air. So don't worry, make sure we all sound our best. We both hope to hear from you. Now let me end with some thanks here. First, a big thanks to Monty Data, who contributes to the music for this episode. A shout out to LJ from the Dystopian Simulation podcast, who provides the series intro and outro voiceovers. And lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. And on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Ashley, Peg, and KJ, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, but isn't currently subscribed to the premium feed, you can help out in a variety of ways. Of course, a premium feed subscription costs only a couple dollars a month and funds the creation of the show while giving you access to an ad-free, two-day early release date with access to a full back catalog of episodes. But if you can't go premium, you can still help the show out by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone out there has any story ideas, wants to give feedback on the show, or would like to submit a question or comment for an upcoming episode, you can reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.